0: The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 235. One
1: day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord I'm not a human being I walk in eternity Brave hearty Change my dear And it seems on a moment too soon
0: Unlimited vice pudding Physician
1: Wearing a bit thin Fantastic I am Scottish I can complain
0: about things
2: She'll be
1: fine
0: Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Brain of Morbius. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel, which you can find by going to sqpn.com slash YouTube, and that'll redirect you to the right place. Also, be sure to stick around to the end of this episode because we have some great listener feedback. But first, we're going to be talking about The Brain of Morbius. Jimmy, can you give us a quick recap of The Brain of Morbius?
1: Sure. The Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith materialize in Germany in the early 1800s, where Dr. <laughs> Victor von Frankenstein is conducting his unnatural experiments by stitching together body parts to make his monster. His assistant, <laughs> Igor, has just brought him a brain that is unsuitable.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: <I've>, oops. <laughs> I, I, let, me, let me try that again. Uh, the Doctor and Sarah Jane materialize on the planet Karn, which is very near Gallifrey, Kondo, the assistant of a mad scientist named Salon, has just brought his master the head of an insect creature that is unsuitable. It turns out that Solon is using bits and scraps of different bodies to build a new body for the ancient Time Lord tyrant Morbius. Everyone believes Morbius is dead because he was executed centuries ago for his crimes. Among the residents of Karn are a religious group known as the Sisterhood of Karn who have an ancient pact with the Time Lords though they aren't on the friendliest of terms. The Sisterhood believes the Time Lords have sent the Doctor to steal their magic potion, the Elixir of Life, which puts them at odds with the Doctor. Eventually, Salon succeeds in putting the brain of Morbius into the patchwork body he has made, turning the evil Morbius into an evil monster. Salon kills his assistant Kondo with a gun. The Doctor kills Salon with cyanide gas. The Doctor and Morbius engage in a battle of mind-bending, in which we get to see the faces of their previous incarnations, including eight incarnations of the Doctor before William Hartnell. This drives Morbius and many of the fans in the audience (laughs) mad and nearly kills the Doctor. A torch-wielding mob of peasants—I mean, uh, (laughs) sisters—drives Morbius off of a cliff, killing him, and the sisters then use the elixir of life to save the Doctor leaving him as the last mind-bender.
2: Oh. <laughs> the
0: last mind-bender. <laughs> yeah. So many references. That
2: was great. <laughs> that Thank was you. that was good. Very good.
0: Yeah, so it is essentially, a, in, in part, a Frankenstein story. Combined
2: uh, with Donovan's brain.
0: Yes, there's an, that's another one that's out there. Um, although I have to say that uh, Philip Mado- Madock, the actor who plays Solon, Looks a lot like Christopher Guest's Count Rugen in uh, in Princess Bride, and Kondo Mm. looks like the albino, and they're both in the pit of despair. (laughs) I thought that was uh, another interesting pre-reference, shall we say. By the way, Philip Medoc, I I noticed, also was the war doctor in uh, the second Doctor's last story, The War Games, which we talked about a long time ago. Oh, The
1: War Master.
0: The War Master. The War Master, yeah.
1: Oh, this is getting confusing now because there is both the war doctor played by John Hurt, and right. now the war master played by uh, Derek Jacobi. Right,
0: right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Or he was the war lord. Okay, one of those yeah. time lord war-, war guys from the War Games.
0: That's right, right, right. I think maybe it was Warlord. I think Warlord. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: yeah, but he's he's really good as as Solon.
0: Yes, I, I, I really, I mean, this, that was a really good part i really liked that character mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. it was really interesting how they changed him throughout the uh the whole four episodes of this mm-hmm. and he kind of w- went back he wasn't just like chew the scenery villain sort of guy
1: oh okay you may well, have I'm... seen more nuances in the performance <laughs> than i did
0: <laughs> well i mean morbius is the chew the scenery villain like just over the top all the time whereas solon kind of he he he! At one point, he's like, "Aha, Doctor! I'm going to take your head." And the next, he's like, "No, no, we're friends now, right? Right? Oh no! I'm with the with the sister." And it kind of like went back and forth, and it was almost to the point of unbelievability of how the Doctor would accept that Solon was mm-hmm. now on his side.
1: Well, yeah, I I kind of took it as we've sort of got a trio of over the top scenery chewing characters in Solon and the Igor like Kondo, and yeah. in Morbius himself right and it, you're right solon switches between being just a ranting abusive boss <laughs> almost as abusive as some i've had <laughs> and 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 being like mr subtle slimy suck up right right but it's it's entirely transparent you know when he just pivots on a dime and why he's doing it it's because he's 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 scheming in just another way now.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard you guys say before that you really like this serial, this, this, this you mm-hmm. know, brain to Morbius story. What is yeah. it about about this that you guys
2: like? Well, you know, I mean, the first the obvious one is, you know, for a four parter, this moves really, really fast. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still the, a lot of the now we're over in the castle. Now we're with the sisters. Now we're back at the castle. Now you know there's still a lot of that, but yeah, there's it's constantly moving. It's there's not a lot of downtime in this, right? It is a good story because you know it like like you you hinted at Jimmy or very clearly put out there. It is based off of things like Frankenstein, which are classic stories. They follow the very similar tropes, the very similar storylines, and everything. And then of course there's the big reveal of you know the doctor's the timeless child. Oh wait, that's what they call him in the thirteenth Doctor.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. How about you, Jimmy? What what is it you like? So I like uh this is an emblem of the era that we're now heading into because you know the production team has now figured out Tom Baker and how to use him in stories. You know, in the initial scripts like Robot, he's being still written like he's John Pertwee and he's just a different person. And so they've they've figured that out. They've also got the aesthetic that they want to use for this era of the showdown, which is gothic. And so this is the Philip Hinchcliffe, Robert Holmes, gothic horror phase of Doctor Who. And this is one of the first stories that's really in that mode. It's, of course, based directly on gothic literature, namely Frankenstein. It also, as a result of being gothic, it's very atmospheric Mm -hmm. there's lots of cool stuff here uh which all comes right out of the gothic film gothic novel and film era when the doctor and sarah jane arrive there's lightning and thunder and rain Mm -hmm. and it's it is literally a dark and stormy night we have a we have a castle we have a mad scientist we have a monster we have a uh mob of people wielding flaming torches uh, we have a mist on the ground. We have a giant's causeway like structure on the ground. We have a graveyard of spaceships. You know, this is all really cool stuff uh, gothically. So it's very atmospheric. I like that. I also like that this is near, this is tied into the doctor's history because mm-hmm. Karn is very near Gallifrey. The doctor says it's within a billion miles or so. It's apparently one of the five worlds that the sisters talk about, so the Doctor grew up in this area. The uh, the Sisterhood and its alliance with the Time Lords adds light kind of by way of reflection on mm. their culture because we mm. see the sisters as a counterpart and counterpoint to the Gallifreyans, how different they are. Instead of being all sciencey, they're all mystical. I like how we have Morbius and there's an enormous backstory for Morbius. Yeah. They really if you put the clues together, I mean they really do tell us a lot about Morbius and his situation. He's not just generic evil guy from the past. Right. We know a lot more about him and what he was up to and you could you easily could just take the clues they've done and write a prequel story, which I believe Big Finish has done. Yeah. Based on this episode, and have already have a really clear idea of what's going on with Morbius, so there's just a lot happening visually and aesthetically, even the sisterhood is is nice as a familiar but really strange religious group mm-hmm. and they come off better than many religious groups do in science fiction t v yeah and so I just, I, I find it appealing for all those reasons. Yeah. I although think. I should say, uh-huh. although the sisterhood is really cool, I don't understand what's so hot about the sacred flame. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> why are they worshiping it? I mean, right. I, yes, it gives them immortality, but only because it makes a drug.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah that, that whole thing was interesting that this flame, that the doctor keeps like saying, uh, there's a completely scientific reason for why this flame is there. And why it's going down in here, let me help you out by making it come back
1: at the end.
2: It's basically a natural gas fireplace, you know, what it is.
1: (laughs) Right, right. But uh, their chanting is nice, you know, the sacred fire, sacred (laughs) flame.
0: Yeah. That's
1: that's (laughs) That's some cool chanting. Yep. They
0: they remind me a lot of, like, there was the design or the, the imagery of them, it reminds me a lot of the... Uh, the sisterhood, or the 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 priestesses of Pompeii, remember? Uh, if You guys <laughs> yep. remember that or that one in the in the uh, uh, ten,
1: tenth, tenth doctor's, doctor's time? time. Yeah. Donna Noble season.
0: Yeah, and a little <laughs> bit like the Bajoran religious in 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 Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit. Certainly, uh, their
1: color palette is similar.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting. That that it, they, I don't know if there was maybe an unconscious pickup of that by the uh, designers in on Deep Space Nine, but. Uh, So the Sisterhood of Karn, we don't really see them very often in televised Doctor Who. I mean, I I presume they're in prose and in Mm -hmm. uh, maybe Big Finish. But Mm -hmm. uh, we see them again in in the Night of the Doctor, where the Eighth Doctor, that little short webisode where the Eighth Doctor is becoming the War Doctor. Uh, And that's really an interesting—having seen that, now seeing this— it sort of closes the loop for me as a doctor who fan that, uh,
1: who that is.
0: Yeah. Who they are and why, and and what that whole sequence means of the night of the doctor and the eighth doctor and their interplay there. So I'm, I'm kind of grateful to get that now.
1: Mm -hmm. And they're specialists in elixir making, which is why they can offer him the different (laughs) potions
2: to control his next regeneration.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, and they do reveal
2: here that the the Time Lords use the elixir of life that is produced by the sacred the fire uh, to help along regenerations that are stuck. Is kind of how the Doctor puts it that they're they problematic yeah. regenerations or it's not completing. They can use this elixir to complete the the cycle. Right. Yeah.
0: I did find it funny that uh, and 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 I know this is a very common thing. It's not a criticism of this episode. The that one point at the very beginning when Marin, the leader of the Sisterhood of Khan, uh, Karn. Sorry. I boston accent the sister <laughs> of Karn says to ohika as you know ohika i will tell you this but i will tell you nonetheless for the sake of the audience who are watching and she explains yeah. about about things I, it just occurred to me as i was watching it that's it's a really funny tick that they have to throw in there because they have to explain stuff uh, but it was it,
1: funny and there there are some some hiccups in the dialogue and the plotting in this so like initially when Maren is talking to Ohika. She tells her privately the sacred flame is dying and they're all doomed, but don't tell yeah. the others until it's certain. <laughs> right. And and then when the doctor comes over, Ohila just blurts out in front of all of the other <laughs> sisters, the sacred flame is dying and we're all doomed. And nobody blinks. Yeah. You <laughs> right. know, none of the other sisters are like, "What? This is the flame apocalypse? Why haven't <laughs> we
0: heard about this before now?" Right and Marin doesn't go Ohika.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucy. By the, way, by the way, we should. Uh, there so there's two characters, Ohika and Ohila. Uh huh. One of them is in this episode, and the other is the leader of the sisterhood in the in the Stephen Moffat era. Right. Who he gave the similar name to suggest there's some kind of connection oh. between the two characters, but mm-hmm. it's so easy to 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 confuse which is Ohika and which is Ohila that will probably be going back and forth in this episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, just just assume that we meant
1: the one that's in this episode. Uh,
0: so you mentioned the Timeless Child, which is that 13th Doctor innovation that Chris Chibnall has come up with that we've talked about. And at the time we were talking about that, you mentioned Brain Amorbius would be the explanation. So how does this connect, to, Like the, as a reminder, how does this connect to the Timeless Child? And this, so, this mind-bending game.
1: Yeah, so this—you have to think about the era in which this was written. At this time, there was no limit on the number of regenerations a Time Lord could have. The 12 regeneration limit was not introduced until several stories after this. Mm-hmm. And so at the thinking about it in terms of the way the writers intended it and the audience would have understood it at the time— You have this mind-bending competition where the Doctor and Morbius hook themselves up to a machine, and the machine generates images of their previous incarnations. And what they're apparently trying to do—the Doctor describes this as Time Lord wrestling—but what apparently they're doing is probing each other, and at least in this mind-bending competition, they're each trying to force each other back to the beginning of their of their incarnations and so more at, so we see uh, the doctor's incarnations in reverse order from Tom Baker to John Pertwee to Patrick Troughton to Bill Hartnell and then we keep seeing faces and mm-hmm. we see eight more and as this is happening Morbius is saying how long have you lived doctor back to your beginning And so he's clearly forcing him into previous regenerations. Now, the intent behind this was—because we're never going to have—in 1970s television, there were never going to be adventures featuring Mm -hmm. these previous Doctors. Mm -hmm. So the idea was, we'll get famous actors to come down and just give us a a single still-image cameo of them as a previous incarnation of the Doctor. The problem is, the thing with famous actors is you have to pay them, (laughs) and so they didn't get any famous actors, so they just had members of the production staff stand in as previous incarnations of the Doctor, including Robert Holmes, who is one of the authors of this episode. And so they had these eight images. In context, they are clearly previous incarnations of the Doctor but because they later invented the 12 incarnation the 12 regeneration rule that conflicted with this and so you had fans who were passionately wedded to the 12 incarnation rule declaring these couldn't be previous incarnations well we all knew they were never going to kill the doctor mm-hmm. after the 12th regeneration right so there was always going to be a loophole at the end of his regeneration cycle Anyway, why can't there be a loophole at the beginning of his regeneration cycle, too? Right. So I've always taken it as, yeah, these are previous incarnations of the Doctor, and some of the production staff members, uh, I haven't checked, but are probably still alive, and Big Finish could now go do adventures with them. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love that. Timeless child (laughs) adventures. That would be interesting. I meant to mention at the top of the episode, we now have new ninth Doctor adventures with Christopher Eccleston that are out on the finish the first set has come out it's called ravagers it's three audio plays it's set obviously in the pre-rose period um Mm -hmm. because he regenerates during the rose period but he has like kind of a temporary companion named nova and i've most of the way through the set now and it's decent so i'm looking if you want to check out new ninth doctor audio with christopher eccleston by all means check it
2: out it's out now awesome and 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 by the way we should we should mention talk about the timeless child just in case there's someone who doesn't know all what this hoopla is about yeah. uh that the idea of the timeless child that Chris Chimno revealed on to us uh, during the last new season of new who is that the doctor actually is far more ancient than we knew that yeah, right. he actually was a fell through a rift from another dimension as a child and had this power to regenerate and the Time Lords, before they were Time Lords, the Galfrans found out, one in particular figured out what caused this regeneration, was able to then add it to their race to create the Time Lords that we know today. But because of this, the Doctor has actually had many, many, many regenerations before William Hartnell, but didn't remember them. They, his mind right. was wiped, so he didn't remember them. But we met one of those previous regenerations in Dr. Ruth, right. yeah. who was awesome. Right. <laughs> and there are apparently
1: breakthrough moments where the doctor starts to remember things, and this episode yeah. could be considered an example of that. Right. Mm, and so, yeah. so,
2: and as part of that that episode where the timeless child is revealed, they actually showed these images as previous regenerations. Right.
0: Right. Right. That's why. Okay. I was because that was going to be my next thing. This is like if I hadn't seen or the, before the timeless child episode, I would have I would have assumed that some of those images were of Morbius' previous uh incarnations that they were on the screen but but now that they've made it canonical that they're all the doctor
1: yeah that was a fan theory to try to avoid the conclusion but in context we see if you watch the flow of the battle carefully we it's very obvious which are morbius and there's only two okay and which are the doctors because the, the like the conversation and the sequencing and the color scheme tells you which are morbius and which are the doctors
0: Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: paying more attention than I was, I guess.
0: <laughs> I've only seen it the one, so that's that's the thing, is I'm seeing it the first time. Uh so it is interesting that they've gone back taken this and now whenever the new season of the new Doctor Who comes out, where they go with this and what we will see from this. I mean, this essentially turning the doctor into a kind of Jason Bourne, <laughs> you know, cuz mm-hmm. she she it is revealed that she was that pr- the previous incarnations of the doctor were Part of some like
1: CIA, like yeah, thing. Of really uninteresting, bland, milk toasty Jason Bourne. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and uh, as you mentioned, Morbius, uh, we learn a lot about him. He once led the Council of the Time Lords as president or whatever the title would have been at the time, and then re- led a rebellion, and then was uh, killed by <laughs> spreading his atoms all across the universe. I mean, this is a we're we're. Not just executing you, we're salting the earth that you've been buried in yeah, to make sure he, nothing can come back.
1: He, he was meant to be not only really dead, but really, most sincerely dead. <laughs> That's right. Except he, his ally Solon has saved his brain, and so he's now how oh how the mighty have fallen from president of the of the Time Lords and tyrant of the galaxy. He is now a glowing brain in a clear plastic tank of antifreeze.
0: Yeah. Yes, uh, betting quatlus on the outcome yeah. of battles, <laughs> and and his body is now uh, like uh, part, uh, a part a uh, part hand of uh, what's uh, of um, it's a
1: big claw like it's, yeah. he's like a fiddler yeah. crab. He's got an enormous <laughs> claw on one side and a much smaller human hand on the other. Yeah. Yep. I want uh, I want to know where the rest of that lobster went. <laughs> so <laughs> Solon's dinner. <laughs> Interestingly, he doesn't really care. About yeah. th- about the body, uh, he 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 defends it when the doctor points out how you know what a yeah. horrific kludge together thing it is, and he says that Solon designed the body for efficiency, not beauty, and he's fine with that. He's just happy to have a body again. Interestingly, they refer to him and his body several different ways. One of the ways that Sarah Jane refers to him it, at a certain point, she asks uh, Tom Baker what happened to mr allsorts yeah. <laughs> and and that's a reference to mr allsorts the mascot of allsorts uh licorice candies who has a body that's kludged together from different kinds of licorice candy and is the basis for the seventh doctor villain mm-hmm. the candy man
0: right <laughs> right that's right that's a nice nice reference nice connection there um, yeah I, I did find it funny sarah jane kept stumbling on to the parts of morbius that have, that are leading around solon's castle uh, and screaming. <laughs> First yeah. it's the headless body, and then it's the brain and you know, it, it although she discovers the brain when she's been blinded, which we, we, we could uh, talk a bit about. Yeah, she's uh, blind for a while. She, um,
1: because uh because Maren has it so for a while the sisterhood was going to burn the doctor at the stake, and they were in the process of doing that, and Sarah, who is very clever in yes. this mm-hmm. in just subtle ways that they don't call attention to, like the The reason, let's back up for a minute, to the reason the doctor gets captured is because he and Sarah Jane have taken shelter from the storm in Solon's castle. And Solon is in his sycophanty suck-up mode because he wants to use the doctor's head to hold Morbius's brain. And so he has Kondo bring them wine that has been uh, doped with some kind of sleeping agent. Mm -hmm. And the doctor drinks his wine and gets drunk. You know, he apparently has a very low threshold for alcohol because <laughs> he's only had the one cup. And meanwhile, Sarah Jane, we see, without them saying anything about it, there's nothing in the dialogue about it. Sarah Jane just takes her cup of wine and pours it into a bowl and doesn't drink it. Right. Yep. And so, so she is more suspicious than the doctor. As a result of the doctor drinking his wine, he gets blitzed and falls asleep or under the spell of the poison and then the sisterhood teleport him to where they are they think he's a time lord spy they're going to burn him at the stake sarah jane though is sober and mm-hmm. she sneaks in somehow gets a disguise of one of the i mean a, a habit of one of the of the of the sisterhood and impersonates a sister takes part in their ceremonies you know faking it on the spot and rescues tom baker yep.
2: right right using some wire clippers that he had in his pocket.
1: Yeah, and so she's very inventive, but in the process of escaping with him, Marin spots her and has a ring that temporarily blinds her. Mhm. Let's
0: let's talk quickly about by the way, the behind the scenes. They almost incinerated Tom Baker in that scene. <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah. <laughs> they I it's very I impressive this- on screen. Yes, when I'm watching this, the, the they're, they're burning him at the stake. I'm like, wow, those special effects of flames right next to Tom Baker are impressive for the 1970s. Those weren't special effects. <laughs> those no, they're, were they're, real flames.
2: There's a point where the flames are like chest high on Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a real quick flash, and it's just like, oh, yeah, I don't think that was supposed to do that. And you you read the, the wiki and it says, no, it was supposed to just be kind of at his feet, and it wasn't supposed to do anything, and all of a sudden... <laughs> I guess one of the other actors actually had to come up, cut, had to break character and say, get out of there. Yeah, that right. was Marin. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. And, uh, yeah, they had to call the fire brigade in between takes and because <laughs> we were going to burn down the BBC studio. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that. That was, uh,
1: but it looked impressive on screen. So I'm glad they saved it. There are a number of interesting things. Uh, so I mentioned that there's kind of some iffy, bad, I mean, Overall, I love the writing in this, although mm-hmm. it is campy, over-the-top, formulaic writing. Like, sure. Solon has really bad management skills. <laughs> he, yes. he, he really needs to go to another management weekend. <laughs> he he is constantly—he's almost Shakespearean in the derision he heaps on other mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. He's constantly yelling at Kondo and— Manipulating Kondo and being cruel to Kondo, and he calls he calls him all kinds of names. He first he calls him a half witted cannibal, mm-hmm. then he calls him a chattering ape and a stupid animal and a murderous animal and my favorite of all his insults for Kondo: chicken brained biological disaster.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, Kondo gets gets revenge, oh, yeah. which we could call the condo fee <laughs> sorry oh okay <laughs> i had to go far for that dad joke but the, the condo sure, fee. That, was, that one was bad <laughs> uh
1: morbius all, or Solon salon also has uh abuse to heap on the sisters who he calls mm-hmm. a squalid brood of harpies he refers to their leader the accursed hag maran who he describes as a palsied harridan <laughs> and he's just like really got his almost shake but not quite Shakespearean insult groove going yeah but he gives he does things for illogical reasons like at one point he orders condo when he thinks he's got Tom Baker asleep and Sarah Jane asleep at his table he tells condo to just kill Sarah Jane Mm-hmm. And then, before Kondo can execute his order, he tells him, Oh, no, take the doctor to the laboratory. Right. But he doesn't say it in a way that suggests he's changing his orders. He says it in a way like he's oblivious to the fact he's just given Kondo two contradictory orders. Mm-hmm. He also, later, when Sarah Jane is uh, blinded, the doctor. Now, this. So, this was weird. Um, I, some years ago. I had a vitreous detachment in my left mm-hmm. eye which is normally which is a normal part of aging and in rare cases it will cause tears in the retina which mm-hmm. it did in me and they were able to repair the tears in the retina using cryotherapy surgery and lasers and cool. both of those are unpleasant now they mm-hmm. you know because what they do for the, for the cryo they have a hook that <laughs> is cold and they put it around the back of your eye to get to the retina. Oh, and, wow. and you have to lay there for that. Oh. And then for the lasers, they shine a laser in your eye and they ramp, up, they ramp up the power enough to nail your retina to the back of your eyeball. And wow. if they're banging on the nerve, that hurts. Oh. But um, this weekend, I started, and they say, because this is a normal part of aging, once you've had your first vitreous detachment, you're going to have your second. And and this weekend I started to have my second vitreous detachment in my right eye. And so I had to go in and see a retinologist on on the weekend. And then I come home and I'm watching Sarah Jane and her eyes and the doctor's going, Hmm, I don't see anything wrong. Let's go to the eye specialist. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, they take her to Solon and he's like, Oh, dude, I'm sorry. She's like going to be permanently blinded now. There's nothing I can do. Her retinas are extensively damaged, and I'm going. I am hoping this is not prophetic, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and 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 fortunately, retinal tears are rare, and these days they're almost always fixable as long as you get them treated, mm. right? But he, for no apparent reason, Solon is lying to the doctor. Because the truth is, and Solon knows it, the effects of Marin's ring are temporary, and Sarah Jane's optic nerves will at some point heal in a flash, and she'll mm. be able to see again. But for no apparent reason, he lies to the doctor and tells him that the only thing that will save Sarah Jane's eyesight is the elixir of life. So Tom Baker needs to go Over to the sisterhood and get some of the elixir of life out of them. And meanwhile, he sends Kondo over there to give a note to the sisters to say, okay, here's the doctor as a present for you, but I want his head. Right. Okay. The sisters have already displayed a lack of willingness to give him the doctor's head. So why would he risk losing the doctor's precious head? by lying about Sarah Jane's eyes. You should just keep the doctor here and have Kondo bash him on the head or hold him at gunpoint because he's got a gun or, you know, poison him again or something. But keep the precious head in your mad scientist castle (laughs) while the precious head is there. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't make... Well, the
0: other thing that kind of got me was is he's so concerned that the head remained perfect Meanwhile, he's assembled the rest of the body from the rechecks of an abattoir. I mean, like, it's like, yeah. I mean, yeah. a little damage to the head, but probably okay. Not that I want Tom Baker's head to be damaged, but you know what I mean? It, it would probably be okay as long as the brain case is sufficient to hold this enormous brain. I'm not sure how he's going to shove it in there, but he's going to have to shoehorn it yeah, in there. Yeah,
1: the brain is really enormous, and it, it it's inconsistent with what we've learned about <laughs> Time Lord anatomy elsewhere.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Time Lord heads are, you know, bigger on the inside than on the outside. <laughs> oh, that go. would explain it, okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, so eventually, Morbius is really jonesing to have a body again, and yeah. he is, he, as as over-the-top egomaniacal as Solon is, Morbius is clearly his superior in the over-the-top <laughs> egomaniacal category, and, and so he... Uh, demands a body. He demands a new head so he can get moving again. He thinks that that the Doctor, like the the Sisterhood, thinks the Doctor is a Time Lord agent here. So does Morbius. Right. He thinks the Time Lords are on to him. And so he wants a body so he can defend himself and get out of here and stuff. And he, he points out to Kondo that weren't a long time ago before this episode started you working on a big plastic fishbowl with giant weird-looking bug (laughs) eyes that you could put my brain in. And Solon is like, oh, no, that would never work because of X, Y, Z, and there would be periodic uh, electrical discharges that would fry your brain and upset your neuronal balance and stuff. And Morbius is, I don't care, give it to me now. Mm -hmm. And so that's how he ends up getting the completed body. They put the giant plastic fishbowl on his head Sarah Jane even compares it to a fishbowl, saying you right. can see his brain right in there, and the doctor says, can you read his thoughts? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But in the process of getting the brain in there, Kondo knocks over the brain tub of antifreeze, and the brain <laughs> yes. falls on the floor and is damaged. So the brain becomes abnormal <laughs> ah. as a, as a result of the smashed container. And and so then initially, when he's when his brain gets hooked up, he is he is nonverbal. His mm-hmm. brain is not yet hooked up correctly. And right. so he is this monster just crazily going <laughs> through the castle and he is Sarah in chasing Sarah Jane she knocks over a candle because this is the future and they still have candles <laughs> right mm-hmm. and it sets a table on fire and so you and that sets the monster on fire and you've got way too much flame for just knocking a candle over yeah but we have our real fire bad moment. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, and he also sees himself in a mirror and smashes the mirror. And there's a great line. He storms out of the castle and Sarah Jane says, where did he go? And the doctor says, gone for a lurch, I think, instead of <laughs> gone so- for a walk. <laughs> yeah, right. That was good. That was good. Yeah. Then, the, you know, because he's in this crazed state, Morbius tells the doctor, or Solon tells the doctor, Morbius has got to be stopped. And Tom Baker gets to say, "He never should have been started."
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Nice. Nice. I was going to say, going back to the, the 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 doctor being the Time Lord agent, even the doctor himself at the beginning yeah. assumes that he was sent there by the Time Lord be, time lords that the the Time Lords had once again moved his TARDIS to where they wanted it to go instead of where the Doctor wanted it to go. And of course, Sarah Jane immediately goes, well, are you sure it's not just a, yet another problem with the TARDIS? <laughs> yeah, and he, he, gets
0: very offended. <laughs> yeah, he gets very offended.
2: I can tell the difference between an internal problem and an external influence.
1: Yeah. And it's,
2: you know, I, I think the most likely is the Time Lords did know about Morbius and that they sent the doctor to do something about it because they like to do that. They like to just throw the doctor in the middle of a problem and say, you figure this out and fix it. And we, we can just kind of wash our hands that, you know, we can be Pontius Pilate over here washing our hands and just not worrying right. about it.
1: And they may have known about the sacred flame dying and wanted to help out the sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was going to. I was wondering because they never actually close, you know,
2: close
0: a loop on that. Which is, wh- how did the Doctor end up there? They just kind of leave it up to us to assume, make assumptions. But everybody assumes the Doctor is there at the behest of the Time Lords, which just kind of says something about the Time Lord
2: reputation. <laughs> and I like the Doctor pouting at the beginning. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. And Sarah Jane like, you don't want to go explore what's over this hill? No. I'm going to sit here yeah. and work on my yo-yo tricks. Yeah, he's like a like a, a
0: fussing toddler. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was good. Yeah. Well, The other thing that was kind of interesting was that for a neurosurgeon from the future, the greatest neurosurgeon of his era, he uses a lot of old tools. I don't know if you noticed that, like the calipers oh, yeah. that measure the size of the head and that sort of stuff. I thought that hey, was kind of funny.
1: And he's he's got a pen with an actual inkwell. <laughs> right, <laughs> he's right. He's writing
2: on paper. Very gothic, very gothic. I like oh, the, do- the, the wax seal, though. He, you know, he actually sealed his oh, letter yeah. with a wax seal.
0: Yes, just so that the sisters know it came from him, that Kondo's does not bring it <laughs> from the other crazy mad scientist living on Karn. <laughs> the uh, the doctor also says he's 749 years old. That was an yep. interesting little tidbit we get here, so we get a little idea of the doctor's age. At the end, when the sisters are, they've run out of elixir of life, they've used their last drops for the doctor, and Ohika and Marin have... Oh, he and the other sisters, but not Marin, have taken uh, their last doses. The Doctor's talking about how I could fix this for you. It's just a simple pr- plumbing problem, essentially. Um, but there's a trap. There's an immortality trap in the elixir. That when you are immortal, there is no progress. You don't. You don't. You don't progress. You don't grow. Your civilization stagnates. Which is maybe a a bit of a, a commentary on the Time Lords, because the Doctor. Says similar things about the the Time Lord Society later on, uh, in in, mm-hmm. in similar um, similar language. So I thought that was interesting that he he tells them about this. Yet he does fix it for them.
1: Yeah, he uses a firecracker and throws it down the hole to uh unstop clear out the, soot. the yeah clear out <laughs> yeah. the soot. And okay, that must be a really powerful firecracker, <laughs> or the blockage should have cleared itself. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> A single firecracker is not going to be enough to really do, uh, cl- really clear any kind of substantial subterranean blockage.
0: Yeah, are the uh, the chimney sweeps uh, going around the roofs of London dropping firecrackers in, yeah. <laughs> clearing them out? <laughs> um, well, There's
2: a certain level of firecrackers that can do that. You might not have a chimney left either, but yeah, it will clear the blockage.
1: Oh, and at the, at the end of the episode, Marin concludes the Doctor is right that there needs to be an end, and so she. Gives her what could have been her dose of the elixir to the doctor, and instead of waiting around for a new dose, which apparently would take a couple of hours, mm-hmm. she <laughs> decides to merge with the sacred flame and ascend. And we she, we see her de aging as yeah. that happens. So I guess there is something mystical about this flame after all, because normal ones do not de age you and make you look younger and prettier <clears throat> if you step into yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Don't do that. But the uh, doctor gives O, o- Hiko, uh, the um. A packet of firecrackers in case of future <laughs> yeah. problems. Yeah. And as he and Sarah Jane are getting into the TARDIS, Ohika's looking at the firecrackers and says, Doctor, there is some ancient writing on this. What does it say? <laughs> and in voiceover, we hear the doctor say, Light the blue touch paper and stand clear as the <laughs> TARDIS is making its whooshing noise. And then, boom, the TARDIS is gone right. in a firecracker like explosion. Right, right, and, <laughs> that and that's good. just you know it's never done that before or since. That's just the production team winking at the audience. Yes, I, mean, I like that. You know, another f- funny bit that satisfies my my dad joke urge
0: was uh, Solon in Morbius in the midst of one of their overwrought, uh, over you know, overblown conversations between each other. Solon says, "That is why his head is so perfect. From one of your own race, from one of those who turned up on y- turned on you and tried to destroy you. You get a new head for Morbius." The crowning irony, and Morbius says, "Fool!" and Solon says, "I'm sorry, the pun was irresistible." Yeah. <laughs> I love that they put they put a pin in the pun. I just love that. Yeah. <laughs> in the midst of
1: everything, Solon's making puns. So, uh, oh. uh, one thing we we haven't really talked about too much in this episode is Kondo, uh, yeah. but he's a big part of this, and he is. I mean, he's obviously a stand-in for Igor. By the way, either you happen to know what English name Igor corresponds to? I recently I looked this up. No. George. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. Igor and George are cognate names.
2: I get that, yeah. So
1: if I knew someone named George, I would have a temptation to refer <laughs> to him as Igor for a while. Yes. But I don't, at least not at the moment. Not in my mm-hmm. circle of people I interact with every day. But uh, Kondo is a big guy. And he's got, uh, he's lim- of limited intelligence. He is in Morbius's, or Solon's service, because he crashed on the planet previously, and Solon patched him up afterwards. But, mm-hmm. as his fee for services, apparently, Solon took his arm, because I guess they don't have national health on Karn.
0: Right. Well, it only <laughs> costs an arm, not an arm and a leg, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, only cost <has laughs> him an arm and but and he's told him I've got the arm hidden away. Obviously, not very well because he's just stitched it onto the body for Morbius. Yep, <laughs> right. But uh, he, he, I've got it hidden away, and when I finish my work, I'll give you your arm back. But until then, you're my indentured servant, and and so Kondo has accepted this deal, except not entirely because he goes looking for the arm as if he's going to reattach it himself, I guess. In place of the arm, he's got an arm with like a hook on it, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which actually will make him much less successful as an indentured servant, although it is useful (laughs) for decapitating insects. Yes. (laughs) By the way, the insect, the doctor tells us that the insect being we see at the beginning is a mutt, and we've actually seen mutts before. They're in the third doctor story, The Mutants. Mm.
0: Okay. So, we haven't Okay,' that one yet Yeah, yeah.
1: so it, that was a nice callback, but Kondo at one point is at one point, Morbius is willing in front of Kondo to give Kondo to the sisters as a sacrifice if they'll just give him the doctor or the doctor's head, and as you would expect, Kondo doesn't cotton to the idea of being given to the sisters as a sacrifice. And so all of the abusive management he's received from uh, Solon has kind of built up, and he's now ready to turn on Solon and use that hook hand on him. And mm. Solon is like, oh, dude, I was totally joking with the sisters. It was a joke. <laughs> and, and Kondo is like, Solon joking. Kondo not joking. <laughs> and, and, okay, how about I give you the arm back right now? You give arm back right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you the arm back right now. I'll go get it, and you go set up for surgery on Morbius. Yeah. (laughs) And Kondo, like, doesn't notice that, wait, we're not doing the arm now thing. We're back to surgery on Morbius. (laughs) Right.
0: Well... And then Solon, like, uh, duh, the arm is on Morbius. You don't think he's going to notice his own arm? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like, yeah.
2: Which he does.
1: All, which he all, does. all Which he does. And gets shot as a result of turning on on Solon. Again, it's like, Solon, really, please, management for dummies 101. <laughs> yeah. Okay? It'll solve you a good. lot of problems. <laughs> um, we, we also have some nice beauty and the beast stuff going on between Condo and Sarah mm-hmm. Jane.
0: Yes. Because yes. Sarah
1: is Sarah girl, pretty Condo like, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's kind of sweet. You know, it shows a nicer side, even if he is a clumsy homicidal oaf that Sarah is terrified of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's
0: a bit Frankensteinish. I mean, that's very
1: yeah. It's very (laughs) much like what we see in in some of the uh,
2: some of the 1930s Universal horror movies. Yes, definitely. There's there's one point though where he had a big big just handful of her hair, and it's like ooh, she pulled wrong when they were filming. That really would have hurt.
0: I know it was it was very. I got to give Elizabeth Slayton credit in this one. She did some interesting acting, stumbling around blind, getting thrown about by Kondo. Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's falling downstairs.
1: In in one sequence where she's blind, she's heading back over to the sisterhood's place mm-hmm. to their convent, I guess, mm-hmm. across this mountainous, rocky landscape that she can't see any of. And it's like, right. wow, okay, that's totally implausible. But what gumption! <laughs> yes, yeah. definitely. The sisterhood also has some interesting powers. Mm -hmm. They say that only the Time Lords are equal to them in mind power. Other races we can totally crush at our will, but (laughs) not the Time Lords. They can close their minds to us, which is why they've never noticed Morbius, Mm. because Mm -hmm. he's been shielding himself mentally. But they have these, like, at the beginning of the first, or not at the beginning, but during the first episode, we see them doing one of their sacred fire, sacred flame ceremonies, and they're basically doing a remote viewing ceremony, and yes. they're they're tuning in on the TARDIS and the Doctor, and that's how they think. Oh, the Time Lords have sent a secret agent among us. And then later, when the Doctor and Sarah Jane are at Morbius's castle, they're doing more remote viewing on them, and they telepath or telekinetically visit. They also can teleport the TARDIS to where they are, so we get TARDIS mm-hmm. separation. Uh, and I like how the Doctor, when he finds out, when he sees the TARDIS yeah. in their place, he says, "Oh." You still do teleportation? How quaint! Have you considered getting a good forklift? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But but then later they're having trouble finding Morbius. Once he's you know back in it, once he's got his new body, they're having trouble. They know Morbius is there. They're having trouble finding him. They need to find out what's salon got going on with Morbius. And I'm going, dudes, just do more remote viewing and find out.
0: Yeah, ex- right, right. Or maybe the elixir has run out and they can't remote do remote viewing or something. Um, no,
1: that didn't stop them before, but okay.
0: So, so a couple things. Uh, when the doctor's talking about the solid construction of Solon's palace, he says it's constructed according to the Scott Bailey principle. Now, mm-hmm. I Google that. I have no idea what he's talking about. Do you have any idea? There are a lot of Scott Baileys in the world, aren't there? <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> Not all of them are constru- working in construction either uh it was that just like a random reference I, maybe? I don't
1: i don't know i assume that's a reference to something real but
2: if you go on google there are a lot of scott baileys in the world well, yes the, there are the funny part too is that could be not literally a scott bailey but scott as in scottish oh. but it doesn't you know again don't know yeah you know, let's see the
0: original script
2: but now, yeah. now the uh, um the closed captioning does use Scott with the two T's as in the proper name, not one T as in the abbreviation for Scottish. Right. But that can yeah. I also noticed that closed captioning isn't very accurate. It It <laughs> <Yeah. it's not. laughs> isn't on a, it's, it's about 90% because they're, yeah. they're por- They're actually, there are actually sentences that have been missed as I was wa- watching it with closed captioning. So,
0: right. They're doing what we're doing, which is, you know, translating as they, uh, as they watch it. So they don't mm-hmm. usually have the original script. um, the other thing was what was interesting is is that uh, how the doctor eventually kills Solon. Yeah. Which is with through using uh, cyanide gas that he he talks about real uh, chemical process. You know, so yeah. here's the science part, kids.
1: <laughs> I, 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 I was gonna like, so kids, here's what you want to do. Take some prussic acid and add to it, and you can make si- this to it, and you can make cyanide gas. And it's a real <laughs> chemical
2: reaction.
1: Yep. <laughs> right, like, right. It was very Okay. <laughs> Appreciate that you have a, had at least a science remit from the BBC, but not <laughs> sure this is the science you want to be. Next episode, kids will be learning how to make a thermonuclear device. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
0: <laughs> Just listen to the radioactive Boy Scout.
2: <laughs> well, it's. it's, it's it- of course, it's rather convenient that they're down in the, they're trapped in this basement, and there just happens to be a vent from the basement right to the very room where Solon is at. It <laughs> exactly. doesn't go anywhere else in the castle, just that one spot.
0: Right, right. And it clears up pretty quick, which is uh, good.
2: I, I do like, though, that for once we
1: use a vent in a sci-fi story that we're not crawling through.
0: In fact, Sarah says, I'm not fitting in that. <laughs> which yeah. Is, yeah, <laughs> yeah we, she, she notes it. Uh, so uh, anything else uh, you want to say about this episode before we wrap it up?
2: Father? Um, no, just that Sarah had a lot of really good one-liners, and uh, mm-hmm. I like the uh, very beginning where the doctor, you know, is yelling at the Time Lords, and says, he says, they won't even show their ears, and she really responds, probably afraid of getting them boxed.
0: <laughs> right, right, that's was good.
1: Jimmy? <laughs> uh, Jimmy? So um, one of the things that bugs me about some of these uh, mid-'70s Doctor Who stories is the TARDIS itself the exterior of the prop Mm. Mm. has gotten really old yeah and you look at it and it's got paint all over it now this may not have been as obvious on televisions back in the 1970s but today it is Um, Mm -hmm. that thing it has too many layers of paint on it the paint has gotten wet and has has Shriveled and warped, and is crumbling and is bubbling, and it looks terrible. Yep. Guys, back in the seventies, get out a sander, sand <laughs> yeah. that thing down, and repaint it, and it will look so much better on camera. Right in but especially they, in 2020. yeah, <laughs> One, they, 2021 <laughs> They they never listened to me though. So yeah, <laughs> they, again,
2: I think it was uh, Peter Davison's era when they finally rebuilt the model.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, you mentioned it. Yeah, it does look better then.
2: I, I like some of the mythology, just
1: references they toss off. So the, the sisters ha- are concerned that everyone in the universe—oh, so one of Morbius's crimes, apparently, was spilling the beans that they have this elixir of life. Right. Which previously only the Time Lords had known about, and they and the Time Lords had a secret trade agreement for elixir but Morbius apparently let other people in the universe know about the elixir. And so they, the sisterhood beca- became very concerned that they were going to be besieged by people from all over the place wanting their elixir. Mm-hmm. And so they set up a belt of magnetic radiation, which, <laughs> okay, yeah, Earth has a magnetic field too, great. Um, <laughs> yep. But this belt of magnetic radiation will yank down any ship that's just passing Karn, which is why there's a graveyard of ships. And they, the sisters are talking amongst themselves and saying, you know, nothing can approach Karn without us feeling it. Even the silent gas dirigibles of the Hutai are, are felt in our bones. <laughs> and they talk about the five planets, which apparently Karn and Gallifrey are two of the five. And I, I just, I like all that stuff. I also like how the doctor, when they're still planning on killing him, mm-hmm. is like, if I'm going to help you, you're going to have to stop stop yanking down spaceships. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah and he's trying to explain to them, look, I can help you, I can fix this. And they're like, nope, uh, we're not having it. You're an agent, we're killing you.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, I, uh, yeah. I, I love the line they had about where, well, do not try to overthink things that cannot be known. And doctor's like, I know everything that's going on here. I, I just explained to you exactly how all this works. Yeah. I'm not overthinking it. <laughs> Interestingly,
1: one last thing about Salon himself. He was, uh, the doctor tells us he was the foremost like neurosurgeon of his time and which he tells Sarah was considerably in advance of yours. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, yeah, maybe about 50 years given the technology this guy is using <laughs> because his, his, the, he he doesn't come across as Mr. Future Fantastical 25th Century Surgeon. He comes across as as Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. But uh, he's from Earth, and he vanished, and there were rumors he was part of the cult of Morbius, and he somehow ended up on, on Karn for the right. trial and execution of Morbius, which is why he was able to save his brain, like in they saved Hitler's brain. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> but uh, but I just find it fascinating that because normal normally humans and Time Lords and Carnites and others don't have commerce with each other, and so I just wonder, like, how did Morbius get from Earth to Carn? How did he join the cult of Morbius? Right. You know, did the cult of Morbius make it as far of Earth as far as Earth? Was he like a companion? Of a time lord, maybe of Morbius. How mm. did how did that all work? So I'm curious. I may have to look on Big Finish to see if they've explored some of that.
0: I was going to say, paging Big Finish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> awesome. All right, so that is the Brain of Morbius. That was a a really good story. I, I agree. I I I really enjoyed that. Uh, lots to like, and obviously, lots to talk about. Uh, I did promise some listener feedback, so I, I want to read it here. Uh, Fulfill thy promise, Domenico. <laughs> <laughs> f- f- promise will be, shall be fulfilled. Steve writes on our Facebook page, Hi, just wanted to drop you a note to say I com- came across your podcast a couple of weeks ago. I've since listened to it a lot. So far, I've been just focusing on your take on my favorite stories, mostly from the fourth and seventh doctor. Well, Steve, I hope you're listening to this one. It's very interesting to hear Americans discuss a show I grew up with here in Britain, although I didn't start watching avidly until 1987. Bad timing, given it was axed Mm. two years later. (laughs) Yeah, That is bad timing. You guys all bring something fresh to your discussions about it, and there's usually something I hadn't noticed or a new bit of trivia. Impressive, being I've seen the episodes many times, never largely encyclopedic knowledge of that era. Steve, I think we need to get you on the show. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I also enjoy your pronunciations of some of the locations. You say tomato, I say tomato, or vice versa, and all that. Keep up the good work. Uh, he says he listens on Spotify and will spread the word. And uh, Steve says that uh, he's actually a TV presenter over on the, on a BBC channel and has a few Twitter followers, so he'll give it a plug there. So thank you, Steve. We we really appreciate yes, it. Glad to yeah. have you uh, on board our uh, American-style TARDIS. I
2: mean- and we are open to pronunciation corrections as yeah. necessary, but please. But, <laughs> yeah. And if if we slaughter anything too bad, just turn and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: it, yeah, i i i wanna, i want to I want to hear that. I want to teach myself to say the pronunciation of that town in Wales that has the longest name ever. You know, the land will, however it goes. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but it lo, pronunciations obviously depend a lot on local knowledge, mm-hmm. like in. Arkansas, there where so I'm from Texas and Arkansas. In Arkansas, there's a town called Lavaca, mm-hmm. and people don't realize, oh, Lavaca, Spanish for the cow. But yeah. in Arkansas, <laughs> it's Lavaca. Yep. And similarly, in Texas, we have Palestine, <laughs> mm-hmm. and people <laughs> right. look at that and go, Palestine, Texas. No, 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 Palestine. Yes,
0: well, Massachusetts is king of having English uh, town names that we've uh, slaughtered about <laughs> the pronunciation. Uh, most famously, Worcester, Massachusetts. Oh, which yes, everyone says Worcester.
1: Yeah, uh, but uh, but England yeah. has that problem too. Yes, they do. Yeah. They do. The but uh, in in terms of growing up with this, actually, now Dom didn't, but Father yes. Corey and I both did grow up with mm-hmm. it. I was watching from the very beginning of Tom Baker. Uh, which right. they were broadcasting on PBS, which is an American public broadcasting system, yep. hence the name PBS. It's run by kind of it's by a mix of federal and, and um and state funding. And so it's uh it's not commercial television and so they would use a lot of British programs. Right. What uh father and I didn't have was the surrounding cultural context. Mm-hmm so, like, in this episode, okay, I, I, I remember watching The Brain of Morbius as a kid, but I would never have understood the reference to Mr. Allsorts, because yeah. we don't have all sorts candy as part mm-hmm. of American culture. And so we'd see the stories and we'd appreciate them, but we wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily get all of the references because it was pre-Google and you couldn't
2: just look stuff up. <laughs> right. Right, right, and I'm I'm obviously very similar age to to Steve because I I started watching Doctor Who in the mid '80s as well. You know, I remember watch, watching the the Seventh Doctor episodes as they would come over, usually about six months to a year after they brought they were broadcast in in Britain. Uh, right. So you know, we would watch them new at at that time. You know, shortly after you would get them. So I mean, very similar context there. But you know, like Jimmy said, you know, there's there are a lot of cultural issues that. We didn't recognize, uh, right? Because we're coming from a different milieu.
0: I watch a lot of British TV now, so I'm 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 more up on those things. So I'm still working on my pronunciations, though. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you, actually these <laughs> days I
1: watch a lot of British television, um, and I get a lot more of the references. But of course, now I'm in my mid-fifties, so I've had a lot <laughs> more time to learn compared to when I was yeah. ten. <laughs> right. Right. Awesome.
0: All right. Thanks. Uh, we love to get feedback, and so uh, it was great to get your feedback, Steve. Uh, We want to take a moment as we wrap things up to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Doctor Who, including John N., Barb G., David F., Deacon Al V., and Judson G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Brain of Morbius? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time. when We'll be discussing the 11th Doctor story, Asylum of the Daleks. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, Sacred Flame, Sacred Fire!
2: Right! This is gonna be fun.